Well, good morning and welcome to week five of Relations Slips. My name is Mark and I uh, have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. I don't know if I should say that after some of the songs we've done in this series, but uh, if you couldn't tell, uh, this is our series, like we've mentioned uh, many times, talking about love, dating, uh, sex, marriage, singleness, friendship, lots of different things. And so we wanted to, uh, wanted to bring our topic up uh, in a very subtle way today. So we did that through song. So hopefully, hopefully you're uh, realizing what we're going to be talking about. And uh, we don't want to joke around about this topic too much, but we know that there's a there's a certain amount of, uh, of awkwardness to it just by saying the word. Probably I could make half the people in here blush. And so uh, we wanted to, to slowly bring that up and, and uh, let us realize that it's something that we, uh, we want to address and we think is important uh, that we need to address as a church. And so let me, uh, again, just kind of give kind of the, the backstory of this series, part of the foundation. Uh, we, we wouldn't have just kicked this series off and said, hey, everybody, we're talking about sex. But uh, as was mentioned, we think that in a progression of, of love, dating, marriage, and different things, we think that it's something that needs talked about. And so here's what you uh, missed if you weren't here some of the last few weeks. But our first week, uh, we talked about love. We looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the famous passage, love is patient, love is kind. And we talked about uh, the way that God defines love, the way the Bible defines love. And we said that that is the most important thing that needs to be in place in all of our relationships. Uh, we said that, that the love that Jesus Christ showed us when he died on the cross, when he gave his life for us, for us is the, the, the love that we should live. The second week, we talked about dating, and we said that, that uh, whether, whether you're dating, whether you're engaged, whether you, you might be headed that way, or whether you're even married, we said that in our relationships, God wants us to glorify him, and he gave us a pathway that we can walk uh, with the, the, the phrase, leave, cleave, and weave, that you've already heard mentioned. And so we said that someday, uh, God may ask us to leave our family behind and form our own, and so it's important for us to, to grow in maturity and knowledge and be able to stand on our own two feet and be our own family and lead ourselves, and so that's what it looks like to to leave. We said that, that cleaving is an important part of marriage. That, that's a, a man and a woman becoming one flesh. And so we'll talk uh, more about that today. And we said also that, that weaving is an important part of marriage because it's, it's the part where you make your lives uh, match up. It's the part where you share finances, where you, you share parenting and you share so many things. And so it's your job in a marriage to make your lives intertwined so that they can't be separated. And so we said that that's the path that God wants us to walk, whether we're dating someone or not, and to ready ourselves uh, on that path. Week three, we, we talked about singleness, and uh, we, we, we obviously brought up the fact that sometimes uh, people, people are embarrassed about being singular. There can sometimes be pain associated with singleness, and while that is the case, uh, we made the distinction and made the point that, that the goal in life is to know Jesus and be found in Him. Being engaged, dating someone, being married for a certain amount of years is never our goal or never our focus. We are found in Jesus, and so we have to keep Jesus as our main goal. Last week, we, we talked about marriage out of Ephesians 5, and we said that a healthy marriage has a, a husband and a wife who are both completely dependent on Jesus. We said that often, uh, as, as we said in that video, marriages end in divorce and different things, and the reason is that because a husband and a wife are like fleas, and if they, if they don't get their life, if they don't get their, their love from, from God... Uh, like, just like fleas do on a dog, that often a husband and wife as fleas will, will suck the life out of each other. And so we said that a great marriage is a marriage that's dependent on Jesus. And so as we approach this week, I want you to know that I'm not trying to just make people blush. I'm not trying to just make my wife feel awkward as we talk about this, all right? Our goal is this, that we believe this is part of the pyramid, part of the progression of love, dating, marriage, and, and things that God has built, God has created for us. And so we want you to know that, that it's, our, it's our job to understand love and to live that out. It's our job to honor God in our relationships, and it's our job to keep Jesus as the goal and the person that we pursue and submit to, no matter what our relationship status is, on Facebook. 
And so I want to say uh, off the bat that God designed man, God designed woman, and God designed them for each other. And he, he designed them to enjoy each other through sex in another one of his creations, which is marriage. And so now that I've given you all the backstory and made us not legally liable, if anyone starts crying or anything, uh, we want to, uh, to kind of jump in. And so I don't, I don't know what your experience was with the, the topic of sex, but I think that, that most people in America uh, kind of take two stances, and they're, they're honestly polar opposites. I think you have a lot of people who are afraid to say the word sex, right? It's, it's taboo, it's, it's, it's bad, we, we should just avoid it at all costs, and often uh, that's the approach that, that most people take. It's the approach taken by parents, and I'm not saying that's bad, because I don't want anyone to give the birds and the bees talk to my four-year-old son yet, right? But, but uh, often we think, oh, I, if I just don't say that word, it doesn't exist. And so uh, parents will often take that stance. The church will often take that stance. Christian parents in the church will often take that stance. And so sometimes we just don't talk about it and think that it doesn't need addressed or it will go away. And I don't, I don't think that's the right approach. There's another approach, though, that's kind of completely on the other side. I also don't think is the, the, the right approach, and that is to just talk about sex all the time, right? We know people that, that have been raised on uh, how, how sex is discussed on radio, and, and MTV has taught them what sex is, and movies and different things. And so the philosophy they've been taught is sex is awesome. You should have sex as early as you can and as often as you can, and sex is great. And, and unfortunately, those two things are, are polar opposites. And so if you've let America raise you, you've probably been in those two camps where one minute you're thinking, okay, I'm supposed to be Amish and I'm supposed to view sex like that. And then the other moment you're thinking, okay, apparently I'm supposed to be a pervert and I'm supposed to think about sex all the time. And, and we don't know where we're supposed to be, right? And so we end up kind of confused and, and, and just not sure what, what the proper stance is on sex. And to be honest, I, I think our, our proper stance should be somewhere right in the middle, Right? Because we know, and we've already said this, that, that God created sex. There's no, there's no shame and, and guilt associated with, with sex by his design. And yet often we take that out of the context and the, the pattern that he's designed. And so we associate those things with it. We're embarrassed and we think of it as, as sinful and, and shameful. And, and sex can be taken out of context, but in and of itself, its origin, its definition is not sin and is not shameful. And so um, I wanted to, uh, to make a, a comparison today, and I realized that uh, just by talking about this, there's going to be times that I'll probably make a Freudian slip, and you'll all laugh at me, and I'll say something. I'm aware that there could be some, uh, some comedy to what I'm about to say, so just follow me. Try not to snicker too much, all right? But um, if, if I were to tell you that, that most nights uh, throughout the course of the week, my family... My, my children and everyone lives in my house, we, we have dessert after a meal. You wouldn't think that was crazy, right? You probably wouldn't like call children's services on me, right? But if, if I were to suddenly tell you uh, my family has switched to a diet of all desserts and basically all we eat is cupcakes and donuts, right? You would, then you would think like, okay, maybe this guy's not the best parent uh, in the world. I think that um, just as we get started here, honestly, we can, we can think of, of sex kind of like that, kind of like dessert, right? It's, it's made to be designed and enjoyed in a certain diet and, and inside of a certain plan. And, and if we have too much, uh, obviously things can, can go too far and things can get crazy and, and uh, we could find ourselves kind of off base. But sex was designed to be enjoyed inside of a plan, inside of a context that God created it. And outside of that, it can change its design and it can change uh, its intent. So we, we need some sugar in our diet, but it's got to be used with discretion and wisdom, right? That's what, that's what I wanted to say, so thanks for not laughing at me, all right? So the goal today is to continue to, to talk about sex, continue to dive in, and uh, we don't want to take it, it lightly. We don't want to laugh too much. We don't want to take it too serious because I'm afraid that you guys will start to just freak out and, and get that, that deer in headlights look with me, but uh, we also don't want to associate it with, with shame and, and guilt and a lot of different things. And so um, I want to uh, just, again, lay a foundation, a passage that we've been to a few times, and so I want to ask you 
uh, to open up your Bible if you brought one today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under your chair or the chair next to you. And uh, we want to turn to Genesis chapter 2, which is on uh, page 4 in most of the Bibles. Genesis chapter 2. Page four, and if you want to, you want to turn there. This is the passage that I already mentioned, where we got the concept: uh, leave, cleave, and weave. And so, I want to uh, just read this to you today, Genesis chapter two. We're going to start about halfway into verse twenty. Genesis chapter two, halfway into verse twenty, and it says this: "But still, there was no companion suitable for him." Talking about Adam, who God had created. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs and closed up the place from which he had taken it. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. At last, Adam exclaimed, she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. And so I I wanted to take us back there real quick because I don't want you to think that I'm making up anything I say today. We always want to be based on the Bible and based on what God says in his word. And so, again, we can see from that passage that God made man, God made woman, God made man and woman for each other to be partners in life. And they were excited about that. They were attracted to each other. That's why when Adam saw Eve, he said, whoa, man, right? He yelled that. He said excited. All right. He, he was excited. He was attracted to her. And uh, God even said by his design that he created them to be one flesh. Right. And so we know that, that God has created sex. God has even built us uh, so that chemicals uh, are, are used when we have sex that mentally bond us to each other. And so we are bonded to the person that we become one flesh with. And we're even told there that, that they saw each other naked and there was no shame and, and no problem with it. And so that's God's creation and design for sex. And this morning, I want you to know that that uh, God created sex for, for a few different reasons. You can write these down if you find this exciting, all right? Because I know that, uh, that this might not be immediately applicable to, to everyone in the room, right? I know some of you are like, I don't really want to talk about this, right? Some of us are thinking this could be applicable as soon as we get home today, right? Um, but, but some of us are, are in college and different things, and we're like, why is he bringing this up? I don't know, all right? The, I want you to, to think of this background that we've said. The, the love that we see, the love and intimacy that we see between a husband and wife is a metaphor for the way that Jesus loves and gives himself and serves the church, all right? And so every time we're learning about sex, every time we're learning about love, every time we're learning about intimacy, we're not just trying to make us feel awkward, all right? We're teaching ourselves and we're learning about how much Jesus loves us and how much he gave his life and how much he continually serves and devotes himself to the church. And so uh, most of you probably didn't wait till the day you graduated high school and say, hey, what's this, uh, what's this college thing everybody's doing? Maybe I'll do that. I should apply to one of those, right? You probably were like five years out. Okay, I need to take this AP class and I need to apply for this scholarship. And if I don't get into National Honor Society, my parents won't love me and I won't get that scholarship. And then I need to apply into the School of Honors and I need to make sure that I, I can get a master's based off the undergraduate degree I get, Right? Most of us think about this stuff ahead of time and we study. And so think of today as kind of just some, some advanced learning, right? We, we want to learn about the love that Jesus has for us. But if, if you find yourself single or you find yourself in college or maybe you think that this isn't immediately applicable to you today, uh, we want to begin to, to speak into you and invest in you so that down the road you can learn from this. And so God made sex 
for three purposes. Now, now you're more excited to take notes, right? All right, here, here are those three purposes. God made sex for, for procreation, right? We see earlier on in the Genesis account that God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. And that means that there weren't supposed to be two people on the earth. There were supposed to be a lot of little Adams and Eves and other people running around, right? And so God said, be fruitful and multiply. All throughout the Bible, we see passages that say children are a blessing from the Lord, right? There are no passages that say children will make you lose sleep and they're going to stress you out because maybe that's just my opinion. God tells us children are a blessing from the Lord. And we see that over and over again. So sex is for procreation. Sex is, is also for pleasure. There's a, there's a passage in, in Proverbs that says to, to husbands, it says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing that satisfi- satisfies and, and captivates you. And so obviously God knew when he made us to be attracted to each other, he knew what he was doing and he, he was proud of that love and that intimacy that would be a metaphor for the way that he loves us and, and loves the church. And Song of Solomon, if you haven't read Song of Solomon, it will teach you a lot uh, about pleasure, but that's one of those books that, that sometimes people uh, uh, just don't read, but, but it, it teaches us a lot about love and about intimacy. And so sex was made for procreation. Sex was made for pleasure. And sex was also created for protection. And this is one of the, uh, one of the things that, that we want to focus on today. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And that is on page 883, if you've got one of the, uh, one of the swamp Bibles here. 1 Corinthians 7, page 883. And as we say that sex is, is one of its purposes is protection... Here's, here's what I mean by that, and here's the context of this passage that was written. We know how God created sex, and most people come to understand how God created sex, but over time, we let culture and friends and experience and, and baggage and wounds and different things speak into our views and speak into our beliefs and speak into sex. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, who's a man who wrote much of the New Testament, God used him to write the New Testament, uh, he wrote a lot of letters at the end of the New Testament to different churches that he had helped start. And so uh, just like this book is called First Corinthians, um, it could be just like a, a new church like us that started. Someone could write us a book and call it Hilliardians or something like that, all right? So this is to the church in, in Corinth, and, and this, this book is based on some questions that they had asked, some things that they had said, hey, we're not sure about this. As we live our faith out and as it intersects with life, we're not sure uh, what this means. Can you help us out? And also uh, in, this, in this book, in this passage, he's addressing some things that he had kind of caught wind of, right? Some things that he had heard. Okay, this is going, in this, going on in this church. They're confused about this. They're struggling with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that. And so that's uh, some of the context and background for this passage. He addresses different different things, uh, just different things with relationships and, and sex. And this one here, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, is one that we want to focus on because I think it is immediately applicable uh, for today and, and for the protection of a marriage and how sex can apply. So let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, page 883. We'll go through verse 9. It says this. Now about the questions you asked in your letter. Yes, it is good to live a celibate life. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. So do not deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule would be the agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, so they can give themselves more completely to prayer. After they should come together again, so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. This is only my suggestion. It's not meant to be an absolute rule. 
I wish everyone could get along without marrying just as I do, but we're not all the same. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Now I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if, you can't, if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. All kinds of stuff there, right? Probably one of the, the juiciest and craziest passages we've ever read on a Sunday. And so we want to take some time uh, and walk through that. And Paul opens that up by saying, now about the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. And so probably as we were one verse into that, people were like, where is he going with this? What, what's going on? I thought we were talking about one thing. This is, he pulled the old switcheroo, right? Uh, there, were, there were people in this church who had, who had given their lives to Jesus, they were Christians, they were saved, whatever, whatever term you want to use, and they were basically glorifying themselves, and they were saying, you know what, I love Jesus so much that I don't have desires anymore. I have no desire to have sex, I don't think about sex, I don't need sex, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to live a completely celibate lifestyle, and look at me, look how religious and awesome I am. Here's the problem. Maybe God couldn't call someone to that. Maybe God had called some of those people to that. Some of these people, though, were married. And so some of these people that were saying, look at me, I'm celibate. I'm so spiritual and so awesome. They were frustrating the heck out of their spouses, right? And so they were, they were basically glorifying one gifting and one thing that God can call people to and completely neglecting the other. And so we know that God created man. We know that God created woman. We know that God created man and woman. Uh, many people are called and, and get married and are attracted to each other. And they multiply and do many other things that God has asked us to do through the gift of sex. And so these purple, these people weren't, weren't doing that. And so uh, Paul says, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that can be good. But I want you to, to think about this. So he goes on in, in verse 2 to say, because there's so much sexual immorality, he said, God, God has also called many of you to have, many of you men to have a wife and many of you wives to, to have husbands. And he's saying that this is also a gifting. This is also something that God has called us to. This is also a possibility and something that you shouldn't shame or something that you shouldn't under-spiritualize. This is a creation of, of God's. And he didn't mean that everyone had to get married or everyone had to follow this path. But what he's saying is that, that marriage was created by God. He was saying that sex was created to protect marriage. And often we can slip up, we can be tempted, we can find ourselves stumbling, we can find ourselves uh, in sexual immorality. And he's saying sex was created to help people overcome that. And so basically he's saying, hey guys, stop making up your own rules. God created man and woman, God created sex don't be afraid to enjoy God's creation and use it to protect yourselves and protect your marriages. Verse 3 says this, The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. I love the order that he puts there, right? Because most of us have this stereotype, like guys want to have sex all the time and, and girls don't, right? And to be honest, I've met some couples where it's completely the opposite, Right? And so he, I, I just love the order that he picks. He, he, right out of the gate in verse 3, he says, The husband should not deprive the wife of sexual intimacy. So any of you guys that are getting ready to use this passage to yell at your wife, Paul's actually kind of turning it back on us and saying, Hey, this is a two-way street. There should be intimacy and there should be love between you. Why is that, you ask? Verse 4 kind of clues us in there, and it says, The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. And so the day that you said, I do, the day that you said, my life is about you and I want to serve you, I want to love you, I want to be one flesh with you, just as God designed us, you gave the rights to your body and to everything in your life to your spouse. Some of us are okay with that. 
Some of us are, are not okay with that. We're, we're very private people, and we like to think that the things that, that are ours are ours. But here's the reality. When you become one flesh, you become one life, one marriage, and everything that you have is shared in common. And so you give of yourself. You give of your life. You give up the rights to your, to your body, to your spouse, and you're saying, I want to love you. I want to be devoted to you. I want to serve you. And when you serve someone, it means that there might be a time that, that you're not excited about that. You're not, you're not pumped up about that, right? There are times that I have to change dirty diapers at my house that I don't even know if I can keep my lunch down. But I, but I love my kids and I'm, I'm committed to them. And so I do that out of sacrifice and out of love. This is framed the same way that, that sometimes we need to realize that we've been given to our spouse in love and in, in service. Verse 5 says this, So do not deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule would be the agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so they can give themselves more completely to prayer. And so, yeah, there are times that, just like our, our dessert comparison, right? Sometimes you need to cut back. Sometimes you need to change things. Sometimes you need to refocus. Paul's not oblivious to that. And he's saying, if you feel like you're making something into an idol or you need to just focus on your relationship with God, yeah, you can dial things back. You can focus on prayer. You can fast. You can focus on your relationship with God if that's what you feel that you need to do. But I love that he says, afterward, they should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. Again, pointing out that sex is in place inside of the, the definition of marriage to protect us. To protect us from sexual immorality, from temptation, and from lack of self-control. He said, this is only my suggestion. It's not meant to, to be an absolute rule. And he goes on to say, I wish that everyone could get along without marrying just as he did, but, but we're all not the same. And I love that he, he basically tips his hat to single people there, and he says there's a unique calling and a unique gifting in the life of single people. There should be no shame in the fact that, that not everyone is married, and there are people who, who may never get married, and that's not something to think, well, I'm not living in God's design and creation. God designed and created singleness and marriage. And he says right here, using Paul, that it's a specific gifting that not everyone has, but it's a, it's a blessing it's a calling, and it's, it's something that, that God can, can use. God calls strong people to have that gift and have that calling in life. It says, God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Now I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. If they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Again, Sometimes marriage and sometimes sex and sometimes the plan that God has created and given us is meant to protect us and, and keep us from sinning. We're, no, one's, no one's saying here, well, you, you're, you're just never going to know pleasure. You're never going to know the, the complete feeling of sexual intimacy. No, the, the point is that God has designed that in a timeline and in a plan. And when it's right, when it's inside of his creation, he wants you to know that. He wants you to feel that. He wants you to, to trust that. And he's saying, I don't want you to, to burn with lust forever. He's saying for people, I'm going to give you intimacy that will point to my love. So there's a lot of stuff uh, that, that we've talked about there that, that I want to circle back on. We've said that God created man, God created woman. God created man and woman for each other. And God created sex inside of marriage so that they could be bound to each other and so that they could know true intimacy so that they could be one flesh and so that they could enjoy life together. But here's the problem. Satan doesn't want us 
to know God. Satan doesn't want us to know God's love. Satan doesn't want us to procreate and do what God has asked us to do. Satan doesn't want us to know pleasure inside of God's plan and inside of God's creation. And he certainly doesn't want to protect marriages that by definition point to the love of Jesus and the church and the relationship and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us when he died on the cross. He has no interest in those things taking place. And so the greatest way that Satan can attack marriages, the greatest way that he can attack procreation and pleasure and protection is to get married people to stop having sex. And so that's one of the greatest things that he uses. How does he do that, you ask? Some of you married people are like, I know how he does that. Some of you college people are like, I don't know, but I'm taking notes as fast as I can, all right? Here's some of the ways that, that Satan does that. Sometimes the, the longer you're, you're married, life just has a way of, of, of happening and, and, and getting in the way, right? And so sometimes it's your schedule. Sometimes it's travel. Sometimes it's, it's kids. Sometimes it's schedule, travel, and kids. Sometimes it's just the ups and downs of life. Sometimes it's, it's a fight that you might have had. Sometimes it's, um, you know, people say a, a lack of attraction and just where they are mentally in that moment. Sometimes it's a fight. Maybe I already said that. Or a fight. Maybe I already said that too. Um, sometimes it's, it's history and just things you've had uh, in, the, in the experience of your life. Sometimes it's trust being broken. Um, some of us have scars in our lives, things that took place before we were married growing up. It, it might be abuse. Uh, it might be past relationships and the weight of those that we carry. And I don't want to gloss over those things or, or say that we, we want to forget them. But I want you to know that God did not design those things in his plan. And so those are often the things that we add and the weight and the scars and the burden that we bring into his plan. And I don't mean to say, well, just forget about those and don't worry about those. Those are things that have to be worked through and things that have to be thought about. But I want you to know this. God created sex to protect marriages. God created sex to bond a husband and a wife together. And God created sex to show us the love that he has for us. So do, do healthy marriages have sex or does sex make healthy marriages? Do, do healthy marriages have a lot of sex or does sex make healthy marriages? Yes. Yes. There's only one reason that God created sex and that is to bond us together. And so we need to realize that's an important part of his plan and that we need to take that serious. Last week, as, as Andrew mentioned, we talked about a relationship pyramid, and uh, we, we said that, that intimacy is not the first thing just right off the bat. There's a reason that couples usually get to know each other and spend some time dating, and they're engaged, and they go to premarital counseling, and they, they build the foundation of their marriage, because often we need to, we need to have a background that, that can build to intimacy. And so that, that pyramid we mentioned was, was an undivided heart. We need to be focused on Christ and focused on living for Him and submitting to Him. We need to find accountability in our relationship with Christ. Out of accountability, we'll have the same expectations. And out of that, we'll be able to see the character of the other person. We'll be able to respect the other person. We'll be able to trust the other person. We'll be able to feel safe with them and feel safety. We'll be able to desire them. And out of desire comes intimacy. And if you, you think of uh, that, that pyramid or, or a ladder, as we used last week, uh, the, the design of that looks a lot like a roof with shingles. And so if one of those things is missing, you guys know the design of shingles is made to, to overlap. And so if one of those is missing, it can jeopardize the entire construction or the way the, the whole pyramid or the whole roof or the whole ladder can be built, right? If one of those things is pulled out, everything else is susceptible. And so is it bad 
If a husband and wife have divided hearts, yeah. Is it, is it bad if they don't have accountability? Of course it is. Or if they, one of them lacks character, they don't respect each other? Is it bad if they don't trust each other? If, is it bad if they don't feel safety with each other or they don't desire each other? Or if that doesn't result in intimacy that God designed? Yeah. All of those things build upon each other and are linked to the layer underneath and above them. And so if any one of those layers is out of place, that might be something in a marriage that you need to address, something that that you need to talk about. And yet the longer you say, this isn't in place, so I'm not going to let this be in place, and I'm not going to let this be in place, and don't don't even think about that one at the top, you can jeopardize your marriage more and more and make it more susceptible to, to leaks and to attacks and, and to Satan getting in and, and destroying God's creation and God's design. See, sex, sex protects us and, and bonds us together. And it's something that God gave us and something that God designed for us. Sex isn't about you. Sex is about serving and loving the other person and surrendering your body and your life to them. That's the commitment you made to to give yourself to them completely. But often we give reasons and excuses and and we let things get in the way of, of God building our intimacy and building that pyramid and building that structure. Sometimes it can be things that need addressed, but sometimes all of those other things are there and our spouse is trying and working hard. And the reality is there are people that just don't want to have sex. I think that we can look at this passage and say, God wants intimacy. God wants sex between a husband and a wife. And so if Larry the cable guy were here, he would have one thing to say. I don't know what it is, Gunther. No, I'm kidding. It's, right? We know the phrase, get her done, right? You didn't think I'd bring that up today, right? But sometimes all of the other things are in, in place, and sometimes people are just saying, I don't really know about that. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like that. Sometimes we need to put the capstone on a relationship of intimacy so that when rain comes, so that when weather comes, all of those other elements are protected and are able to, to, to be fulfilled. They're able to, to kind of work in their structure, and God's able to use them as he designed And so I don't want to sound like some male chauvinistic pig who's just up here. And so I love the fact that this passage, that God used a single guy to write this passage, right? This isn't a guy who's been in a a, a lukewarm marriage and just isn't happy about his life. And he's writing a letter to his friends and he's saying, "Uh, please tell all of your wives that men should have sex 15 times a week, right? He's not saying this because he's bitter. He's saying this because this is God's design and this is what God wants, and I don't think I'm, I'm surprising anyone when I say that often in a relationship, uh, there, there, are, there are men who, who enjoy sex, right? Sometimes, sometimes it's women, sometimes it's both spouses. But let's just say, uh, for the sake of our argument, that, that in most stereotypical marriages, men enjoy the, the concept of sex. I looked up the stats this week, and you always hear something like, men think about sex every seven seconds. That's not actually true, all right? Men think about sex 35 times a day. All right? And they say that most women think about it 18. So even if you have a, a stereotypical normal marriage, men are thinking about sex twice as much as women. But the reality is they're both thinking about it. And so if you understand that God has created you, God has given you to each other, God wants you to be bonded together, God wants you to love each other, and God wants that to result in physical intimacy and oneness, I would think that, that you would have a conversation. Hey, 
How often do you think about this? How often do you think about this? And you would meet in the middle of compromise. And so let's say for the sake of an argument that, uh, that one person in a marriage thinks about sex seven times a week. Chances are it's the husband, but maybe not, right? And let's say someone in a marriage thinks about sex zero times a week. I hope that's not the case, but it might be the case, right? And so that means even if they're going to meet in the middle, even if they're going to compromise, if you are a math major or you understand division or something, you know that halfway between zero and seven is 3.5. So you can decide if you round that down to three or round that up to four. I think I know what the guys want to do. But anyway, my point is, I would think even if you're completely given to each other and you understand that my desires are out of the way and my desires are out of the way and you meet in the middle of those desires, there should still be some intimacy and some sexual activity that's taking place. And so uh, I'm going to give you a warning right now. When I do premarital counseling with people, I look a couple in the eyes and I say to them, are you willing to have sex with each other three to four times a week for the next 40 to 50 years? Some of you are like, note to self, don't do premarital counseling with Mark, all right? I'm just being completely honest. I'm going to say that because I believe God's word tells us that this is his design, this is his intent, and this is his way of protecting his creation of marriage and keeping us bonded together, keeping us focused, keeping us from being tempted, keeping us from sexual immorality, and keeping Satan from getting into our lives and attacking us. He's built a pyramid that was made to protect us and keep us from outside effects from weather. And so I think that it's important for a couple to know the desires of the other person, and to compromise and to understand those desires. But again, even if one person wants to always have sex and one person wants to never have sex, there should be a happy medium that should result in intimacy that will be used by God to protect you. Now, husbands can often uh, take this out of context or take this too far. They'll go home and say, see, uh, I told you pastor said we're supposed to be doing it a lot more, right? That's what they'll say. And we, we love to just take things and, and, and come up with reasons and excuses. And, and I, don't, I don't know what gets talked about in your, in your friend's circle. I don't know what stuff you're reading or what you're looking up online or what, what novel that you've been reading with Fabio on the cover or whatever, all right? I don't mean to say that, that all of the things the world teaches us and throws at us as far as sex are okay and are right and are good. I think you're still going to have to have a lot of conversations I think you're going to have to say, okay, does this, does this check out against the Bible? Is this biblical? Does this show um, someone that's devoted and wants to, to love and, and serve me? You're still going to have to say, is this harmful to one of us? Does this tear away at our relationship? Is this mutually agreed upon by husband and wife? There's a lot of things, and I don't even have time to go into them this morning, uh, that, that can cross lines and can go outside of what I believe is God's intent uh, for sex inside of marriage and his creation. But I think it's our job to test things and say, are they biblical? Are they harmful? Are they mutually agreed upon? But the reality is that we should be, we should be approaching this with an attitude of, of service and an attitude of humility. We said that this, this passage is out of 1 Corinthians 7. And if you remember, we read 1 Corinthians 6 a few weeks ago and said that God wants us to run from sexual immorality. The reason that we're told to run from sexual immorality and temptation and things outside of marriage... It says that, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus gave his life 
and died on the cross so that we could have the Holy Spirit, so that we could know God, and so that we could live for Him and live with Him in heaven for eternity. And when a price is paid, when someone buys something for you, the greatest thing you can do is honor that gift and live for that gift. And so if to all the college people in here today, I said, hey guys, Daddy, Daddy Mark's just going to pay for your college, right? I, I, I just came into a couple mil with the lottery, and so I'm going to pay everybody's debt off here. It's no big deal, right? If someone paid for your college, gave you a scholarship probably the best thing that you could do is pass your classes, right? You wouldn't want to go out and like, sorry, Mark, I know you paid a lot for that, but I, I kind of got, got an F, so can I, have, can I have some more money? No, when someone's paid a price for something, you want to honor their gift, you want to give your best, and you want to live up to the standard of that gift. And so we're told that Jesus gave his life to pay the price for our bodies, and we were to honor God with our bodies, and so we want to honor God with our bodies inside of his design of marriage by doing something that he created because it shows the love that he has for the church and that's sexual intimacy. Now there's a lot more conversations that, that need to be had. Sex isn't something that, that just happens. Obviously, there's a, there's a time that a, a couple meets each other and there's a time that they get married and all of a sudden it's okay to have sex and so they have to talk about anticipation and they have to talk about anxiety and, and expectations and letdowns and they have to learn from each other and they have to communicate and they have to be honest and they have to talk about birth control and so many other things and I don't mean to discount those things but the point is that we need to keep the overarching theme in place. God created us to know him. God created man and woman to know each other, to be attracted to each other. God created man and woman to be married, and God created sex to be enjoyed inside of the boundaries of marriage. And so God designed a healthy marriage to contain sex for procreation, for pleasure, and for protection. And we cannot take that lightly. Because when we take that lightly, we're insulting the Creator by insulting His creation. When we take sex lightly, we're insulting his creation of sex. We're insulting his creation of marriage. And we're insulting the love that he wants to see lived out between a husband and a wife. And so this has been a very, very heavy series. I realize that. We've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about love. We've talked about dating and singleness and and some of the wounds that all of us carry in marriage. And there are wounds and and different things that many of us carry inside of marriage. And we've talked this week about sex. And I don't want to pretend that, okay, we talked about that for five weeks. It's all over. I hope you worked out your issues and got over some stuff. I realize that there have been a lot of heavy things in this series. And and some of those might be things that that you want to talk to someone about. So I mentioned this a few weeks ago. If, if, uh, If you and your spouse or just, just you need to talk to someone, I want you to know that, that I would love to, to meet with you and, and to counsel you and to talk to husbands and wives about different issues and things that might have happened in their past or might be happening now. If you have something going on in your life and you're thinking, I don't know that Mark guy, but if, if you're in a movement group and you feel comfortable sharing that with your leader, with your apprentice leader, with some people in your group, I think that is one of the best things that you can do to begin to talk these things out and let the body of Christ, let, let the church bless you and, and, and speak into your life and invest in you. And maybe you're, maybe you're being mentored by someone. I think it would be good if, if you would just share this with someone that you know and trust, someone who's walking with Christ. There are many, many issues that Satan uses to make us slip up when it comes to these five weeks and these topics we've talked about. And that's why we address them. Because we want to see God-ordained relationships and not relation slips. And so please, please take action steps. If God has put something on your heart, something that you need to work on in your life or something that needs talked about in your marriage, please share that with, with someone. Share it with myself. Share it with your movement group leader. You can even go to the next steps table right back here and, and just say, you know, I'd like to talk to someone or I'd like to find a movement group so that I can know and, and, and kind of grow in my relationship with God. 
I want to uh, spend some time praying. And if, if, if God has put something on your heart, I would love for you to just spend some time talking to him, confessing that to him, and asking God, God, what's my next step? What do you want me to do to, to write this? How do you want me to make this right? How do you want me to grow? And how do you want me to change the patterns that you put in my life? So will you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for all of the things that you've taught us, the things that you've shown us and, and given us. And God, I pray that as we are a, a church who has gone through these weeks, I pray that we will be changed by that. I pray that we will be, um, we will just be excited about what, what you're teaching us, what you're doing. God, I pray that, that we will take steps. Lord, we want to be a movement of people finding their way back to you. And that means that we have to, we have to be obedient. We have to step when you point something out to us and when you ask us. So God, if we need to change the way we love, if we need to change the way that, that we're dating, if we need to change the way that, that we're saving ourselves for our spouse someday, Lord, if, if we're, we're in bondage to, to pornography or, Lord, we're just in an unhealthy relationship that needs to end. Lord, if we're in a marriage that, that the pyramid is out of whack and we're not glorifying you, God, help us to change that today. Help us to take serious what you're asking us to do. God, I pray that you'll give us the courage to do that today. Be with us now as we sing to you and as we worship. It's in your name I pray, Lord. Amen.